All right. I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 today, and then Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. This is getting into really some thick and heavy things as to uh, what the aged apostle is saying to his readers. We're going to be talking about the objects of our worship and the lawlessness of sin. So here's the scriptures for today. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Read that this week, and I thought, that's a lot right there just in those few verses. But then I was also reading this week in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. So I'm going to bring these things together today. I think they relate, especially in the discussion, as what sin is. 1 John chapter 3, uh, and verses 4 and 5, and Acts chapter 17 intersect where the propensity of man seeks to merge lawlessness with worship. And that's what you need to try to get in your mind as we go through this today. The intersection of lawlessness and worship. Now, it seems really uh, contrary to one another, doesn't it? Lawlessness and worship of God. But when you have lawlessness mixed with worship, you're no longer longer worshiping God. But there is an intersect between lawlessness and worship. To unite the unholy and the holy, there's an attempt. And to bring together the secular with the sacred. In essence, to mix lies with truth and call it legitimate. This is what we see happening in our day. This is what we see happening to many mainline denominations of old. And, and I want to just go ahead and settle for the record, in case any of you are here and you don't know this. Don't ever say, like if, if, and you may not know it, but there is no such thing in America or the world as a non-denominational church. Now, they may not have an an official connection, but their whole doctrinal structure is going to go towards one of those mainline denominations. Uh, There is no (laughs) non-truly non-denominational church in, in the left, I think, in the world. They're going to flavor something. Baptist, uh, assembly, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, whatever. Uh, and then there's a whole litany of them, aren't there? <laughs> so, But they're going to 
They're going to lean that way. So wherever the pastor may have went to seminary, or perhaps he didn't go, but he was trained by a, uh, a grandfather, or maybe there was a man in the church he was saved in, and he went to wherever that was that, that particular bent. And it's going to come in. So the problem isn't so much uh, the denomination part. It's, it's are you teaching true doctrine? There are denominations that that do have sound doctrine and there are denominations that do not. Okay, that's what you really got to know. And so we see in our day then along among the, the, the main denominations, Presbyterians, Baptists, um, Methodists after that, uh, and then you get on down into uh, uh, well, Congregationalists before that, uh, the main ones, Lutheran, okay, there was a time when they held a strong line. They held a strong stance. And now all of those are beginning to, to begin to cross this intersection. They're beginning to waver. And it's sad. Um, I want to read something to you just about what sin does. Characteristics of sin. Now listen to this. Character, these are the characteristics of sin. First, makes you rebellious. Sin is rebellion. It makes you quest for independence and self-sufficiency. That's your goal. It makes you love what is foolish while thinking you are wise. It makes you think you're capable of what you cannot do. It makes you think you're righteous when you're really when really your heart is corrupt. Convinces you that you are okay when actually you're heading for disaster. That's what sin has done, and it's what sin is doing now. And so then First John comes along here as he's writing, uh, after all that he has, had, has said so far, <laughs> he writes, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you think, but wait, I sin. You, you do. I do too. And every time we do, it is an act of cosmic treason. It is an act of lawlessness. You are, you are being rebellious. You are uh, making yourself independent, a free agent. Every time that you do. But we need to get a little more specific. Um, whoever commits sin, in the, in the word commits, in the Greek, it's to behave in a certain manner, to show a certain behavior or attribute, to conduct yourself in a way that inhibits the characteristics of sin. And, and you all know how rebellion is. And we, when you think of little tiny children, you say, don't eat the candy, and they take the candy, and they give you that look, and it's that famous showdown between parents and kids. And you think to yourself for the first time, oh my, they are literally processing the rebellion. Here it comes. What are they going to do? Right? And so it's, it's, how, we, it's how we come off in moments of decision lawlessness is the state of being or behaving in open defiance to the law openly defying it just will not 
do that. And of course, let me just set for the record here, we're not talking about, John is not talking about uh, laws that are capricious, that are of the world. He's talking about that which God has said. For example, you shall have no other gods before me. Think about that for a second. We all know that commandment. And yet, even yet, still, many of us fall on it many times. Whatever we put in front of God becomes another God before Him. At any moment, at any time. Okay? So, lawlessness is the state, the state of being or behaving in open defiance to the law. Sin is lawlessness against the express commands of God. I want to, you know, one of the things is, is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? And boy, you know, you can get into the discussion of how far does that go? What's, how, 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 what's the extent of it? And without getting into all that, because Sunday school was enough of that, uh, <laughs> um, I would say this, attitudinally, your attitude determines, I think, the largest part of that. So, this is the first day of the week. This is the day that set apart from when it went from Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6, I believe. The Sabbath turned to the, to the first day of the week or the Lord's day. It's still in the moral law of God. Do we honor the Sabbath? Do we keep it holy? You say, well, I'm in church today. You are. I'm so glad. That you're here. You should be here. And I want to just tell you that even though you're here, I want to remind you, you're not doing God a favor. You're here because He's worthy. The, The word worship has in it, if you will, segmented apart. Worth, ship, worth. And ship, worth, worship is worship. He's worthy. You should be here. Why wouldn't you be here? He holds your life in in his hands. So now, but when you leave, when you leave, do you still keep the Sabbath holy? Is it set apart? God worked six days and on the seventh day he rested. He, 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 He set this apart. Now you say, well, we're not under the Mosaic law. You're right, we're not. But we are under the law of God eternally. And this is a thing that he did. It was a... It was something that transcended the Jewish law. It was, a, it was what God modeled in Himself. Jesus is our Sabbath rest in salvation. But do you, do you honor the Sabbath? And you, you, I don't know if you, how many of you ever really thought about, do I really honor the Sabbath? It's kind of one of those things you're, what does that look like in my life? But it's something we should pay attention to. Millard Erickson, one of the systematic theologians that I had to take twice in school, uh, says that sin is in is any evil action or evil motive that is in opposition to God. Opposition, it, it opposes God. Simply stated, sin is a failure to let God be God and placing something or someone in God's rightful place of supremacy. And honestly, the number one thing that we sin with is ourselves. It's us. 
We make ourselves out to be God. Satan, when Jesus is talking about him, but he said, the devil said, I will exalt my throne above God. Imagine the words. None of you here, I don't imagine, would ever stand out on golf course here and say, hold up a sign that says, I exalt my throne above God today. None of you would do that. None of us would do that. But look at our daily life and the moments with which we decide to do that. Sin. It's seductive. It's subtle. And it's in us. And John is saying, if you commit sin, you commit lawlessness. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to hold verse 5 out till the end. But you commit lawlessness. Now, transition to objects of our worship. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is walking through. He comes to, these, to this place in Athens. And uh, he stands in the midst of the Areopagus because this is where they all go to talk about some new belief system or some new thing. Epicureans, Stoics, they were all there. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They had a, <laughs> they had a, a statue here. They had lots of statues, lots and lots and lots and lots of them, okay, all named. Then they had this one. I don't know if it was a block. I don't know if it was round. I don't know what it looked like, but it just simply, it was blank except for to the unknown God. And he says, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And I thought about that this week, and I thought, that's what lawlessness is. It's when we worship that thing that we don't know, really. Or, many times in our Christian lives, we think that we know God in, in such a way, but when we learn more about Him, we realize that many of our reflections of God are really us repackaged. Us repackaged. And we're really bad about that. So if we're permissive in an area, God might be permissive there too. If God is hard in an area... You know, you just might be hard right there too. So, the objects of our worship can range in from, from us to kids to ideas, you know, to identity of education or position at work. Maybe you have some authority over somebody else and you know you're, you're the big man or gal, whatever. Maybe it's your identity as a naturalized American citizen. You're a patriot. I hope you don't get that in front of God. But we all have that, right? To the unknown God. And when we, when we sin and we commit lawlessness, we are bowing down to this statue that we've kind of handcrafted and said, I don't really know what that is, but it looks good. I'm going to give it homage and bow down. It, it really kind of looks like my likes and dislikes, but... I don't want to be that trans, you know, parent, so I'll just say it's unknown. 
We have many people today who claim to know Christ, but by their fruits of their life, they deny Him. They are worshiping an unknown God. So here's to illustrate the correlation. Judges 17, if you will, turn left. Judges 17, go along, a long way to the left, actually. Okay, just after Joshua, Judges, Judges 17, Joshua has passed away. The, uh, the nation has taken the land, still taking the land in many ways. And uh, they are becoming lawless, actually. They are getting into things by mingling with the inhabitants of the land and taking up their, their worship of their gods and all kinds of stuff. And things are twisted and they're still trying to maintain a level of identity with Yahweh. I mean, we see that today, right? Didn't it just make your skin crawl when you see certain politicians quoting Scripture? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So, Micah. Micah's idolatry. Now, first of all, in Judges chapter 17, it says there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Now, just so you know, Micah's name literally means who is like Jehovah. That's what his name means. So think, one who probably should reflect Jehovah. And he said to his mom, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Here's, here is the silver with me. I took it, Mom. I stole from you. It's one of the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Well, okay. So when he had returned the, or so when he had returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord. You think, Mama, Mama got it going. Mama's good. Mama's loving the Lord. And then she says, For my son to make a carved image and a molded image, now therefore I will return it to you. Now mom's breaking the moral law of God, creating and casting images. Okay, it gets worse. This, thus he returned the silver to his mom. Then, he, then his mother took the 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The, the man Micah had a shrine. So now we've got even worse idolatry happening. And made an ephod and a household idol, so he had it all, the full gamut, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So now he's acting as his own priest maker. And he's still, his name is Micah. One who is like Jehovah. That's bad. <laughs> it's just really bad. And in those days in verse 6, there was no king in Israel. And notice this line. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is that not happening today? Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and he was staying there. And we all know what the Levite's job was. They were the, exclusively the ones that served God. Exclusively in the capacities of these things. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah, one who was like Jehovah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. 
and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you ten shekels of silver per year and a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. See what he just did? He, be- he became a free agent and a, a traveling priest for a private guy, for his family, serving with his boy that he consecrated as priest. It'd be like me taking Weston and, I don't know, putting milk on his head and saying, I thou dub thee a priest, you know, of God. Now stand on one leg and chant, I am here. I just make it up as I go. I mean, because that's what you have to do. And so, don't do that, Weston. Um, Then the Levite, notice verse 11, was content to dwell with the man. How was he content to dwell with the man? Where would his heart have to be as a Levite to be content to dwell as a hireling for ten shekels in a shirt? That's what sin does, doesn't it? Makes you not feel those things anymore. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite. Now Micah, this dude, just decided to consecrate a Levite. I just literally just don't have it to say how bad this is. Who does he think he is? But isn't that what sin does? It makes you think you're somebody you're not. So the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that the, this is the, probably the line that gets me the most. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Really? Okay, I want to tell you guys something. You will never, ever, ever be blessed as long as you think you can tell God what is permissible. Ever. Don't think you can go buy a new Bible, sit it on your countertop and say, no, God will bless me because I got a new Bible. It's not going to happen. You must repent. And humble yourself to him as king. He is, he is not just a king. He is the king. So unforgiveness and bitterness and, and, and sin of all kinds. So Warren Wiersbe writes, Because Micah and his family didn't submit to the authority of God's word, their home was a place of religious and moral confusion. Have you ever seen the intersect of lawlessness and, and holiness? Have you seen that? They wanted God, they invoked the name of the Lord, but they were doing everything opposite of God and everything of the Lord. But their home was a good deal like many homes today where money is, is the God the family worships, where children steal from their parents and lie about what they do, where the family honor is unknown and where the true God is unwanted. Television provides all the images the family will ever want to worship and few worry about thus saith the Lord. And now here we are in 2021 And we have children's programs talking about transgenderism and trying to convince the little ones that they can choose their sex. Really? All under the watchful eye of a parent who seems to say, yes, and if I go to church on Sunday, God will bless me. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. 
I want to, Isaiah 1 is just, it's just more of what this talks about, but I want to skip and just kind of remind us of something Martin Lloyd-Jones said. There is nothing which is more insulting to the holy name of God than to profess Him with your lips and deny Him in your life. Please stop talking to anyone about Jesus if you're posting junk on Facebook that is opposite than what Jesus would do. Please stop saying how you have faith in Christ when all you do is cuss like a sailor and decry all the evils of the land, offer no prayer, offer no humility, and offer no repentance. Just zip it. Thank you. God doesn't need your witness. That's got to stop. And then you need to fear the Lord and why I don't feel that's wrong. I know people who have had back problems that have woke up some days and said, you know, I can't feel my feet. Now they're, they're walking, but it, are you concerned that you don't feel your feet? Very. And that's how it should be. You should be concerned that you don't have the sensitivity that you should have of the things of God. Now I'm going to give you some mercy. 1 John 3, now verse 5. Um, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Now what I want to say before you get confused is this. What this is talking about in the Greek tense of the verbs is that which is actively always happening. So you could say it this way. Um, whoever abides in him does not continue to sin. Continually as in a habit, a practice of your life. You will not find Rich and Deb off at the horse races every weekend. They're just not going to be doing it. Okay, it's just not going to happen. It's just not who they are. It's that they, they won't be off doing things like that. Okay, they just won't. You're not going to continue to be unchristlike that doesn't mean you won't stumble doesn't mean you won't fail and but when you do you're going to know and you're going to come right back and repent and get right with god whoever sins continually then if as the opposite whoever continues to sin whoever continues to live in that which they say they've repented of and they seem to do it without any kind of problem does not know him they've never seen him they don't know him you don't know him Stop saying, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 12, and because I prayed that prayer, I can, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, and the Bible tells me so, and I can go off and live like I want to, and I don't need anyone telling me what to do. No, you do not have the life of God in you. Amen. You cannot show me one place in this entire canon where Jesus has touched somebody, healed their life, and then be the same. There are 66 books here. Okay, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. When God changes a heart, they are changed. 
We have to stop trying to convince people they're Christians when they're not, y'all. Don't you think? Time to call a spade a spade. The Bible says in verse 18 of Isaiah, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. A beautiful, beautiful verse about what God can do to a heart that humbles itself before Him. That's grace. I realize that some of you may be here. I don't, I don't know all of you, but you may not know Jesus. I want you to know that you're no different than me. I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. I have a corrupt nature. But I have a great Savior who came to me 36 years ago. Gave me a new heart. Gave me hope. Gave me an abiding presence. I called out to him. Lord save me. Be my Lord. My God. And he did. Jesus not, is not a was. He's an is now. And he's here every day with me. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I take Him with me. I'm never alone. I can't be. He won't let me go. He will not let me go. If you don't know Jesus, I, I, I challenge you. Repent. Turn to Christ. Give Him your mess. And live. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness.